So, uh, speaking of things, um, I tweeted at Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I love how you're holding your <laughs> yeah. coffee mug right now yeah. as you say that, finally. Go on. I tweeted at him, and I think it's my most liked tweet, <laughs> uh, which is not saying much, but Mark Wahlberg did not tweet back. D- All right. Dang stop. It. Let's Next topic. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Your previous week was way more productive than our previous week. I will say that much. Do tell. Well... We went to a cabin in the woods and pretty much ate and sat around all day mm-hmm. for five days in a row, which was amazing. Yeah, it was it was really amazing. Like we were three hours southwest of Denver. Mm-hmm. It was southwest a little. We were at an undisclosed location. Undisclosed location. Yeah. I really want to tell you the name because it's super awesome. Yeah. A super uh, awesome name or a super awesome place? No, no, say the name. Yeah. It's Wakatoya. Hmm, that is a cool name. Yeah, it is a really cool name. There's some significance behind that name, which we won't go into. But the Aspens in particular, which we told you, the Aspens. And we had some incredible hikes. I'll tell you this. Would, my favorite experience, well, top three favorite experiences i already know mine and i will say it after maybe no no no. you should say it because i think i'm we're thinking of the same one so we we like this cabin is pretty like pretty real deal up in up in the woods there's electricity but there's no like internet or tv or anything like that no central air and heating as well so we have have a fireplace it's like a hundred years old or so from the porter family cold up there it's cold as the dickens yeah at night yeah yeah um, so, but we brought a laptop because we wanted to watch the movie. So we watched the, the first Godfather. Amazing movie. So good. Yep. So good. I'd never seen it before. And then. So there was electricity. Yes. To charge we, the laptop. Yeah, we had electricity. Okay. Yep. And then I was supposed to bring the movie, the classic Top Gun. Right. Okay. And. Oh, this is. Okay. I, I always just carry okay. that with me no matter what. Yeah. Well. Turns out, I keep a copy of my car. Now we, so, now dude, we, we Kata had never seen this movie. All really? right, yep. And we are, I mean, we are talking it up. Like we are hiking in the mountains, like singing Top Gun songs, <laughs> like pulling out one-liners, talking about how sweet it would be if Tom Cruise dang, would dang. like fly a fighter jet over the mountains into the cabin, right? To and hang it out was with us right into the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> It's the cabin, no joke. Like the living room is like the size of this yep. room, our mm-hmm. living room. But it, and it's also cam night as well. Oh, so mm-hmm. we're like getting crazy stoked about yeah, it. Yeah, right. We are geared up mm-hmm. all day, and turns out I brought the special features <laughs> disc, <laughs> oh, <laughs> dude. Top Gun, and it was like, I mean, we are like so pumped. And we get everything ready, like we fire it up, and we didn't realize it until like the menu on the screen didn't have like a play movie play option. Oh no! It was so we're literally like going through all the options, like, "Hey, how do you play this movie? What's up with this disc?" Unbelievable! Oh man, it was unbelievable. So what'd you do? Watch the special features? No. Well, that night we watched uh, Talladega Nights, which was. So dumb. Everybody yeah. just basically went to bed afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, some gosh. But <laughs> that was Top Gunnus interrupt us. Yep. So then we were like, well, and we had to go into town um one day. And so they had like a coffee shop or something. So we we're like, well, we'll get it. Like we checked the library to see if they had it. They didn't have it. We called another library. There was a public library and you guys didn't podcast. I told you guys. <laughs> Did I say library? <laughs> Rob, I told you not to mention the library. <laughs> I meant trailer without internet. Oh, we yeah. just knocked on this person's door. Like, and do we're you have like, Top Gun? Yeah. Hey, do you have Top Gun? Yeah. And so we, I mean, we talked about it for like two or three days, like how much of a letdown this was. And anyway, long story short, 
we had like one le- last desperation plan of Porter and Mets had to go into town to do like the laundry for the sheets and everything. Mm-hmm. We're like, all right, if you can find Wi-Fi, take your laptop, download Top Gun, do whatever it takes, get it. This town is, there's nothing in this town. I mean, it's tiny. It's called and, Wahala. Well, that's La Vida, right? Yeah, is that's La Vida. La Vida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is the mountain range. Mm. And so, but this town is like, I've just, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like it out out west, the the way that it was. So to find Wi-Fi was that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like they have internet here. So anyway, so he, they come back and he's like, "No, man, it didn't like it didn't work." You know, something on my computer, blah blah blah. And so we were gonna we had the DVD of Skyfall, so we were gonna watch that on our last night. So we literally like have our last big dinner, hang out, like sit down. We're like, all right, we'll probably end up watching like thirty minutes of Skyfall and go to bed. And dude, they pulled a fast one on me. And all of a sudden, it just like you hear like the the music in the in the background, and like like Tom Cruise, just the name comes on the screen. I was like wait a second dude and we lost our minds when it came on it surprises are the best oh gosh it felt good it felt really good because like we played it off i even put in the skyfall dvd and i'm like oh skyfall play on iTunes, uh-huh. not on the DVD player. <laughs> of course, it's. I mean, it probably sounds more epic than it was because it was on like a, I don't know, fifteen inch laptop True. with like a laptop speaker. It's all a matter of perspective. Though. It was perspective. It was amazing. That yeah. movie is incredible. It was cooler than I remembered, mm-hmm. which is surprising. I I would say that movie holds the bar for coolness because all those lines are incredibly cheesy. And they make it cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I never loved it. I can't. I think I've only seen it once. But do we fight now, <laughs> or is this like a later? So it's true. What is Top Gun technically? Because you said your dad did Top Gun. Right? Yeah, my dad did Top Gun. Top Gun is technically like the elite, elite fighter jet school. I mean, that's what it is. Which the movie explains decently. And do people actually die in it? Because um, didn't somebody die in that movie? Flying in Top Gun. Whoa, whoa. Okay. Whoa. We Too don't just far. talk about like Goose, like some guy. <laughs> Have you seen that mustache? He That's deserves. Kilmer, right? He no. 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 Kilmer's Iceman. Goose? You're dangerous. There's <laughs> <laughs> a line from the movie. Yeah. No, Goose <gasps> is his Rio, and the Rio is the guy who sits six sits back seat in the F-14, mm-hmm. and he's the weapons gunner, and he also is like the aerial perspective guy. So you have mm-hmm. the pilot in front, the Rio in back. And yeah, Goose is the one who he passes. Mm-hmm. That's a word we like to use. He passes. Meg Ryan wept bitterly. He goes beyond the veil. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty. So is it that dangerous? That's my question. I mean, I'm sure that it is. It's. I mean, I, I don't know statistically speaking, but anytime you're going. And is it just Navy pilots or? It's an. It's a Navy school. Okay. Yeah, it's a Navy school. Um, yeah. So like they have a plaque in the movie, and I was telling the guys when we were watching, like that plaque is in my dad's office. I've seen the Top Gun plaque in there; it has his name on it. Wow! Um, so there's this personal connection to the movie for you. Yeah, and you, it really didn't develop until you see college. your own dad playing volleyball in jeans and no shirt. Yes, right. <laughs> yes, legitimately. He owned a motorcycle. He still has his fighter jacket. He has his flight suit. His helmet. Really? It's all in the basement. And like your mom remembers playing volleyball on those courts, yep. right? He's like, "Oh yeah, Mike, You're we kidding. used to we used to actually go." So out they and filmed play it there. at a, the actual place where they do Top Gun. Yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it was. Maybe I should watch it again. I mean, it's super. When are you guys going back to Colorado? I'll go with you, and we can watch it. <laughs> Let's well. Um, Let's we, go to the mountains. We can to, jump on a Spirit Airlines beauty. flight pretty much whenever. Yeah. You know how much our our tickets were out there. What? I paid seventy dollars round trip. On bear fare, bear mm-hmm. fare, Colorado, and I got my bags checked for free, which would have been an extra sixty bucks. But because I was military, they just seventy dollars uh, round trip. That's pretty incredible. As in, yeah, With like two tanks of gas. We did need a priest. Yeah, it would have been yeah. nice to have mm-hmm. a priest out there. I mean, that would have been the next level. 
Right. Power up. Power up. Mm-hmm. So then that was an amazing moment. I think we all really relished that. And it was the last night. I also know the moment you're yeah. talking about. So part of the... I mean, well, you were out there fighting fires. Did you ever go into the Rockies? Were you... Uh, Yeah, more like north of Colorado, like Idaho. Okay. Utah. Okay. Is I Utah d- north of Colorado? Definitely not. I, it's it, east of it, right? Are those the Rockies still? Uh, I was in Utah. I was in Idaho, Oregon, California. Okay. Continue. So... Um, well, I kind of like we talked about earlier, an aspect of the Rockies that I enjoyed was the Aspens that were out there, mm-hmm. which you can tell the way that, you can tell that they're Aspens because of the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but we, when we got out there, they're turning perfectly gold and you can just see patches from a distance cause it's like mostly pines and then Aspen pockets. And we did one of the hikes through, I don't know, we're we're heading to the secret meadow, whatever Paul's this is Paul's meadow, and he knew the way, and so we we're kind of just trailing behind him. And as we were walking through the woods, there would be occasions, blue sky, perfectly sunny, like sixty, seventy degrees, beautiful weather, and you'd look up, and it would just be an umbrella of gold above you, Dang. and the light would just be shining through, and we're like. Oh. <laughs> What it is this? It reminds me of a like, scene from Lord of the Rings or something. Hello. Yeah. It, it, continue. That's what we were calling it. Really? It was like the the fields of Lothlorien or what, what were we saying? Is it? I think we were saying that. I don't know. Is yeah. that former Lord of the Rings? Fields yeah. of Lorien. The, yeah. well, I didn't mean specifically, but like that's how he describes. No, that's what scenes. came to mind. Yeah. Like yeah. we were literally just talking about yeah. like this is yeah what it would feel like. Hmm. I was mad they didn't film the movie there. Mm-hmm. You're Even mad. though New Zealand is yeah, in that spot mm-hmm. on our trail with us, with me in it. But all that being said, so we're like walking, you have these golden pockets, golden umbrellas that you'd look up and like the shun the sun would be hitting through and it's just you know, one of those kind of surreal moments. And when we finally get to the meadow, which is the the final destination there, um, we like kind of break out into the open. It's also very beautiful and there's aspens that are surrounding it all over. And it was crazy windy that day. It was actually so windy, we found out on the way back that a couple of trees had fallen on power lines. So we were kind of scrambling with with what to do about that. But, I mean, it was raging. So we break out into the meadow, and all of a sudden the wind is like... And just starts whipping everything up. like, And you can kind of hear it from a distance. And we're just stepping into it, and we kind of turn around and look up, and the wind just rushes and then totally goes goes peaceful and up in the air is all of these golden leaves and it was just like a blizzard of gold hailing Whoa. down on us in this open field with mountains in the background i almost started crying it was so beautiful <laughs> yeah. that's not it that's not a joke it was wow. that beautiful and like the ferocity of the wind in your ear to total peace and tranquility and no joke it was like a snowfall yeah. of gold and so we just kind of stood in the meadow and and then it was kind of uncontainable joy and there's like ah and you just had to like run and catch them so we i ran and caught one and put it in my pocket i think you got one as well i gave it to my niece actually yeah Uh i caught like i caught one of the golden leaves that fell and gave it to her this weekend it was a it was an unreal moment um and at that elevation with peaks in the background and i mean with your with your bro dudes as well i mean it's it was really a golden blizzard that sounds better than the top gun thing <laughs> i don't maybe we didn't do the top gun thing justice and <laughs> like you this is coming from a guy who didn't like the movie top gun yeah that's true yeah and yeah. all week so literally kata hadn't seen the movie and after like after we put in the special i can't features, believe robbie had never seen it yeah that makes no sense yeah but his words, which pretty much summed up the whole thing, was after we realized we only had the special features, he was like, hey, I had pneumonia really bad when I was a kid, and this is worse. <laughs> <laughs> like, that sums up the feeling in that cabin when we didn't have Top Gun that first night. Was totally- so you had to make up for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. no, that the golden the golden golden snowfall was, it was pretty pretty baller. That's like it was just like Mary and Therese 
it, I mean, it was like a very, very real moment of mm. prayer, spiritual experience. Yeah, man, why do you even need to go to church when there's stuff like that out in nature? Yeah. You know, like that's the real church. Right? Totally. I know you're mocking it. <laughs> I know you're mocking it. And like part of me is like, man, that was such a real experience of God. But at the same time... Well, I think it goes back to something we were saying a few episodes back, which was you can't see that as a gift from God unless you already believe this whole, right. have this whole edifice of belief in your heart that's formed in the church. You know, otherwise you could you could look at the same thing if you weren't four or five Catholic seminarians who believed in Jesus Christ and who, you know, were trying to surrender their lives to him. It would be... It wouldn't be seen as the gift that it was. It would just be like an interest, you know, like, oh, wow, look, those leaves. It would have been beautiful. Objectively, it's beauty, but yeah. everything's received in the mode of the receiver. Sure. And uh, you guys received it in a, in a certain way. I was reading, um, no, I was listening to this podcast that two people recommended, one, a listener who emailed me uh, from The Art of Manliness about... Did you listen to that? I didn't send this to you guys, did I? I sent you the I sent you an Art of Manliness one on the Negotiator. Oh yeah, I listened to that. Yeah, it was cool. But this one was on secularism. I just on the plane. I just listened to this podcast. It was so the secular age. It sort of like lit my heart on fire a little bit mm-hmm. when he was talking about the liturgy part at the end. And what, what is this? So this he wrote a book called. How to not be secular or something, or it's like so. The art of manliness guy, I think his name is his Brett name McKay. Brett McKay. Um, he has like a guest every right. every podcast, mm-hmm. and he had this guest who's a philosophy professor, I think, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Okay, and this guy had written a book, which was like pretty much a distilled, easy read version. Of another philosophy professor. Yeah, a secular age. A secular age. It's like a yep. huge tome. Mm-hmm. It's like a 900 page. It's like Christopher thing. West is to Theology of the Body. Sure. This guy is to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Sounds like. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I guess he was just talking about how um, secularism, his foundation was like secularism is where every, every point of view is up for debate so his base and i i don't think i've listened to the end yet but the the basic premise at the beginning is like in a sense like we're we're so far past the enlightenment at this point we realize that like a uh, a positivism or just like a strict scientism does not sum up human experience right and And so he was so he was like the the thing that is questioned today is is truth and like what what is real and what isn't. So like everything is questionable. There's and no so it, cultural consensus about matters of the spirit or mind. Right. And so it creates this like in a, I don't think he worded it like this, but it creates this like self doubt in belief. Mm-hmm. I think. And then I I don't think I've listened to it past that. But the big thing I I think that. Uh, rung true for me was that the the big mistake is um, like with and if you want to talk about the election I think the p- political manifestation of this is that sort of like the elite leaders just think in terms of economics and utility you know like if we do this then this must happen because human beings always act in this way you know like the the idea that you can manipulate somehow like huge huge portions of humanity to to do certain things by creating certain policies takes for granted that human beings will always act in their economic interest or etc cetera, etc cetera. but his point was that human beings are not economic animals they're you know they're lovers that's what a human being is mm-hmm. is a lover and they go after loves whether it's love of country love of money love of god uh that's how they act and so it's kind of unpredictable because love is not irrational, but kind of super rational. But uh, what you attach your love to is formed. You know, it's not it's not exactly chosen. Uh, the will. This is sort of the classical view of the human person that the that the intellect perceives a good, and then the will automatically attaches to that good and per, and pursues it. 
and uh, the way that the the intellect is formed and the will attached to a certain good is through liturgy. And so he kind of expands the, the term liturgy mm-hmm. uh, to mean anything that forms a love or directs the will towards some vision of the good life. And so he uses the sort of banal example of the mall as the modern liturgy. You know, like he's saying politicians may not understand this, but certainly uh, capitalists and advertisers understand the human person is not an economic animal. It's a lover. And so you have to form love, whether it's attachment to a brand, Apple or whatever, like the mall, you walk into the mall and everything is liturgical. This is a ritual way of like you walk in there and everything is presented to you in such a way that it excites the emotions and says, I want that. That's the vision. If I had that, then my life would be this. And this is what I want. What does he define liturgical as again? Just to clarify. I, I can't remember precisely, but it was, it was basically like the, the activity, like a communal activity that forms a vision of the good life that basically attracts the will. It shapes to, a love. Yeah. It shapes a love. Yeah. A love shaping activity. Hmm. And he's saying that the, the Christian liturgy is meant to basically form a love or a vision of the good life and in opposition in many ways to in this age certainly secularism consumerism love of money love of the pleasures of this world it's meant to draw you into a higher vision of the good life mm-hmm. and so um like not i don't think this is how he said it or if this is a paraphrase or this is just kind of what i was thinking about afterwards but for someone to say, for instance, I don't go to mass because I don't feel like it is like saying I don't go to school because I don't know how to read. In other words, like the mass is meant to make you want to go to mass. Mm-hmm. You know, it's me- it, it's meant to make you want what it's giving you, you know, and you can't when you first start going automatically, like every time you go to mass isn't some sort of like interior uh, awesome personal experience of like an expression of yourself. It's forming you. You know, it's kind of like Flannery O'Connor said in this letter. Some t- high school teacher was writing to her saying, "You know, the kids these days they don't like the classics. Uh, they'd rather read modern fiction or, or whatever." And, and Flannery O'Connor just said, "Well, it's a shame they don't like good books, but their taste should not be consulted. Their tastes are being formed." Mm. And uh, that's why you force a kid to read the classics. I, I preached about this this weekend with the leper, one leper coming back to thank Jesus. Um, it reminded me of my mother standing over me, forcing me to write thank you notes for like oh, first gosh. communion gifts and yeah. stuff and graduation. And uh, I'm like, if I had looked up for her and said, I don't get anything out of this, it would have been like a non sequitur. It makes no sense. Right. You don't, of course you don't right. get anything out of it. You're being formed into a great, grateful person. Yeah. This is how a person acts. Hmm. They notice that my life didn't have to be this way, that these people didn't have to charm my life by thinking of me. Um, and so I am grateful for that. And I'm being formed into the kind of happy person who notices those things and doesn't take them for granted. And then that will make you spontaneously be more grateful and want to write the thank you note to express that gratitude later. You know, it's not like uncle Eric is waiting in his living room for the mail to come to see if little Connor is grateful for the $10 check. That's not the point of the thank you note. You know, it's nice to receive one, but it's formation. And, and that's to me what the mass is, what this guy was saying was like, this is forming your mind and your heart and your soul to want something better than what the competing loves are promising you, you know, and so you're willing to give, just like if you really loved your country, you'd be even willing to give up your life for it, something that you love very dearly, but you say, I love my country more than my life. So what the mass is trying to do, what the mass is designed to do is to make you want God more than anything else. And so he was making the case for more transcendent liturgy, more less, he's like, what what Christians have done is uh, said, oh, the mall is really good at making people want stuff at the mall so we should make christianity more like the mall we should make the church more like the mall Hmm. and he's saying like that's that's a way to make a person want something on a certain spiritual plane the material the a comfortable life you know health Mm -hmm. wealth prosperity and certainly there are churches that preach that yeah 
But Christianity is preaching a kingdom that is not of this world. It's breaking into this world, but it should draw a person in some ways out of it, you know. And that to me, it just like lined up exactly. I'm not saying as well as this guy, so maybe turn off our podcast and go listen to that one. But no, don't do that. that. Don't do it. Don't, don't do that. That was the <laughs> stupidest thing I've ever heard. <clears throat> but you get what I'm saying? So back to the golden snowfall, mm-hmm. like to just be a kind of a hiker, my, the mountains are my church kind of guy is always going to be, I mean, that is a high good nature and beauty and stuff. But I've been in nature, man. And for every golden snowfall, there is a cold night and uh, pooping in a hole and <laughs> and hard work and sweat mm-hmm. and stink and animals who don't care that you're there. You know, it's in, in nature is indifferent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas, so like you can see, oh, that's the hand of God pouring down these golden leaves to us, but only because you, you know, that through the midst of suffering and, um, the realness of human life, there are these epiphanies and flashes of glory. Yeah. And even if, even in like the highest sense of that moment, I, we talked about this a few podcasts ago too, but the, um, oh, the severe mercy point of like, even if that was like the height of your human experience, that golden snowfall, which was awesome, you still know it has to end mm-hmm. or that it will end. So it can't be, it's not the good in itself. Yes. Like at the most basic level. And that did, like, you could kind of experience that there of like how cool this moment is, how even like to use the word transcendent this moment is, um, like, you know, it's going to end. You know, it's going to end quick. So, like, yeah, you might as well go frolic and try to catch, like, right, some of these golden right, snowflakes. Right. Go because you got it. You got 30 seconds of it, and that's it. And what's transcendent about the moment is that you're in it. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, that mm-hmm. happens all the time, and nobody sees it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only reason that that moment was transcendent was because there was a human heart with senses that perceived it yeah and that same human person can be in a hospital or a nursing home or a city block and experience the same kind of transcendent you know like that that itself is just a they're just dumb leaves Mm -hmm. they're not god you know but god speaks to the human heart and that that to me is the is the mistake of attaching yourself it's kind of like c.s lewis said like those who go out in nature to try to be amazed by nature mm-hmm. almost every time are disappointed. But those who go out into their garden to pray and to elevate their mind to God more frequently are amazed by the glory of nature around them because you're, you're directed at a higher good and you see the secondary cause of the hand of God for what it is. Yeah. You know, but to just look at trees and be like, I want to be amazed by nature, so I'm going to go look at a tree. That doesn't do it. Yeah. But if you are already in a contemplative mode, you see everything. You see a red light changing to green just as you come up to it as the hand of God. You know what I mean? Dare I make this comparison? Dare. But I'm going to throw it in there. Of even Top Gun became <laughs> something more than it was. Right. Because it was an like it was a real experience of like Surprised by joy. Surprised by joy. But even now, there is something like the four of us that were at that like little cabin in the mountains. Like that was a real growth in like brotherhood, and it was it was like a ton of fun, and we laughed a lot. But like that one experience of like this movie, Top Gun, is something like we'll talk about for years. Yeah. I guarantee it. Yeah. Like it got exponentially cooler because of how we hyped it up yeah. and did it so yeah yeah it, it forms a bond it builds like a true relationship there those mm-hmm. based off of experience together like to your point yeah it's transcendent because you were there like that same you had someone to share it with you're both like right yeah yeah both on the spiritual plane like i know that god exists and i have a relationship with him so i can see this for what it is and I have my brothers here, and I don't have to. I don't have to look at this alone. Yeah. And the same with Top Gun, as, as 
kind of horizontal as that is. You know, that's just a movie. But the same thing. It would not have been the same if you had spent a week in the woods by yourself and were like, man, I really want to watch Top Gun. And then you just go watch it on, on your own on your own on it's a totally, laptop. Yep. It's just mm-hmm. lame. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, anything. Like, I remember playing video games as a kid. Uh, I had a Sega. And one of my favorite games was NHL 94. And um, wow, you just dated yourself bad. Yeah, NHL '94. <laughs> That's well. Think about that. Is that 22 years ago? I think so. If my math serves me correctly. Oof, <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> but I Look played at us the, now. I'd play it all the yeah. time by myself, and it was just sort of kind of not that cool. Mm-hmm. But then when my older brother would want to play with me, whoa. Hmm. completely different because the game itself was a means to bond with right. the person who I thought was the coolest right. in the, on the planet. And I, well, yeah. So anyways, like these things, whether they be golden snowfalls movies or whatever else, like the bond is love. Mm-hmm. If there is love there, it doesn't matter what it is. Like you, your heart is elevated and wants that's, that's the good life. Yeah. It's like to lose myself in the other. That's what we believe. Yeah. That's what heaven is, is to forget yourself. Yeah. And that's why it's such a pain to live it every day because most of the time to forget yourself for a human being uh, who's selfish means suffering and renunciation. Hmm. You know, and rarely is it these like flashes of glory where you're just like enthralled. You know, fall- so I'm reading Three to Get Married by Fulton Sheen. Um. And it's not just about marriage. It's just, it's like Trinity and love and creation and uh, sex and all, all of these aspects of the human person. Fulton Sheen is a baller, dude. Yeah, every yeah. time I've, mm-hmm. I've only ever read a few books of his, but every time I dig into one, I'm just like, this guy's a treasure. Hmm. Brilliant and a saint. And he's talking about the three stages of love. The first is sex love, which is just this physical uh, attraction, which is not just your body it's also an aspect of the person like it's the person who is attracted it's the person who loves even on the carnal level that's the first attraction to the other in terms of married love but then there's personal love which is now it can't just be any attractive body it has to be this person because i know them and what i love about them are their person this is the person's personality hmm. and so that's a maturation of sex love into this more personal, real love. But then finally, the, the third is Christian love, which is, I love this person in Christ. I love them because God loves them. Hmm. And so even if they're ugly, even if their personality disgusts me, I love them because God loves them. So that's the, the tying of the two loves together, God, love of God above all, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but that that's the true test of like, are you ready for, are you ready for the big show? Can you lose yourself in love of another person? You know, and to me, I want to write this as a blog post too, because I've been thinking a lot about marriage lately. But the analogy to me that works is like marriage is a lifeboat, just like all the sacraments are these little life preservers to get us through sort of the flood of all all of the lies and temptations to self reliance and self-fulfillment, self-righteousness, self-justification that we go through in this life because we're sinners. Like these sacraments draw us out. And same with the liturgy, like forming a vision of the good life that involves self-renunciation of like, I don't just do things because I feel like doing them. I do them because I need to feel a different way about things. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to believe different things because I've fallen for lies, you know. And marriage is... A sacrament, and just like all the sacraments, are not in heaven because they're not needed. You see God face to face and are lost in his presence. Uh, You still retain your personality, but you don't think about yourself. You forget yourself. And so marriage is this lifeboat that gets you to heaven. But then once you arrive at your destination, you don't need to be in the boat anymore. Mm -hmm. But a couple loses themselves in their love for each other, first of all. But then in the in the children that they bear, you know, like if they just stare at each other forever, that love will not grow. It will not be the Trinitarian love that saves you. You know, you need to be your love for each other. Our podcast can't just be about us. 
it has to be about a transcendent in our case fourth. now you lost me there <laughs> but like i think about my vocation to the priesthood and it's the same way i don't need to be married if i focus my life on that you know that i don't need to be married in order to be fulfilled because if i believe the purpose of life is to is to lose myself in love then i have that you know like god has given me the boat of the priesthood to get up every morning and to forget myself you know um but if we ever think that like marriage is this or, or even the priesthood i think there's a temptation in that to think like if it's this way then i'll be happy like i have a certain vision do you get what i'm saying i think so I, and this might change the course a little bit but it was just a like another big grace from this last week at the cabin was a conversation yeah you and i had of and not to go into too many details but i know in my prayer a lot has been coming up especially at the cabin of ordination coming up in like six months like kind of the first formal public promises of um, celibacy and holy orders man it's coming but we were talking about just how i don't know like as we've matured in the spiritual life to get to this point where that is exciting like that step of ordination is is very exciting that how different people have in a sense like showed us part of shown us part of our hearts that we didn't know were there and like once that's been like revealed to me at least it's like then you can love with that part of your heart so it's just like taking that boat analogy of like yeah i mean it's a continual thing until you reach your destination and you can't it's like those parts of your heart, like the capacity to love is the win for those sales, man. And you can't produce it on your own. But the point is, is that like love really does, the capacity to love, the ability to love really does fulfill you. I guess that's what I was hearing like in mm-hmm. your analogy of there. Of, like you're happy as a priest mm-hmm. and like you're experiencing a Trinitarian love. Your boat is priesthood. Exactly. And that, it's the way God wants to make me yep. into a saint. And it has to, but it has to continue to move. It can't yeah. stay at the same place. Yeah. But you can't move it on your own. Mm-hmm. So does that do justice for yeah, what you were yeah. thinking? And I think in another aspect of it is like, not only that's, of course, that's how he wants to make you and, you know, God willing, Rob and I saints, but like, that's how he saves us. Yeah. Like, I'm saving you from the treachery of the ocean and death by, in the sea by giving you this life raft. That's going to take you to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a big part of also what I heard just along those lines of salvation was talking about like really difficult times, you know, either in the summer or throughout formation and like looking at specific people that have come and saved me, mm-hmm. saved my vocation of like, wow, that was a really dark time. And God, you sent this person here and like gave me a bright light. Are you talking about me? No, <laughs> no, I am not. Maybe a little. No, no. Um, I mean the per- the podcast, mm-hmm. a perfect example. Like in a lot of ways, this has. I don't know. I'm sure it has saved vocation. You mm-hmm. know, at least for. Well, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Time will tell. Mm-hmm. I, this. This has been very formative for me, but that's, I mean, that's just an example, but I can look back, I mean, from the summer to see very like phases that come to mind where I say, thank you, God, for giving me that person because they legitimately saved me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the idea that like, not just the God works through secondary causes, uses instruments, but the relational aspect of it, which mm-hmm. is very present in priesthood, um, and I, I think it gets, it's just discounted very, very often. They're like, oh, okay, the priest is the one who's by himself and right. he's just kind of making it on his own. And of course, it's him and God, but like, you know, it's really him by himself. And like the married couple are a team together. And that has not been the case. Like I have had very specific relationships, either from my family in the context of where I grew up and friends and and people up here at school that have legitimately saved me and my vocation. Um yeah, as which they make up kind of the boat that we're a part of, which mm-hmm. of course lin- lends into the church imagery. We're like, yeah, people from the church have saved my vocation. They've saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that 
what made me think of the boat analogy in the first place was that old joke about the guy who lives in the floodplain and the storm is coming and somebody drives by and says, come on, we got to evacuate. And the guy says, no, God's going to save me. I have faith in God. You know, that old joke. And then it starts flooding and then the boat comes by. No, God's going to save me. Then the helicopter last chance. No, God's going to save me. He dies and gets to heaven. So where were you, God? Well, I sent you a car, a boat and a helicopter. And like that, this is uh, what scandalized me so much about the confession survey where so many Catholics said, I can just confess my sins straight to God. Like the last thing I want is for my parishioners to get to heaven and be like, God, I thought you just forgave me no matter what, uh, that you loved me and, and wanted to forgive me for my sins. And he says, yeah, that's why I sent you priests right. who loved you and you, who you could trust. Mm. You know, Or where were you when this happened or when that happened and I was suffering? I was at Mass on Sunday. Where were you? Mm-hmm. You know, like these, these ways that he, I mean, the sacraments are these like direct lifeboats. But what you're saying also is that like these secondary causes, the human persons that are in our path, whether they be our family, our most intimate relationships of origin, or just people like passing in and out of our lives who charm them and and, and keep us from thinking like, oh, this boat's not moving or it's not moving in the direction I want, so I'm going to try to swim for the shore myself. You're going to drown. You know, stay out. in the boat. Yeah. That's the thing. Like when marriages start getting rocky the last thing you want to do is jump out. Yeah. You know, same thing with the priesthood, you know, like I'm lonely or this isn't, I don't like this. Yeah. Stay in. You know, it reminds me of an experience I actually had last night in prayer, um, which I never really had before. And even as I was journaling it, like writing down really what I heard in prayer, it seemed like it wasn't right. Like this is not, this is bringing me peace, but it shouldn't because it seems like this is not a good thing. Um, and the experience was one where, um, so I, I was talking to a, a friend who is going to celebrate my first mass for me. And I was like, yeah, you need to, I, I'd like it if you preached my deacon mass as well, mass of Thanksgiving. And, and he was like, no, you, you need to preach your first deacon mass. Like you have somebody that comes and preaches your priesthood mass, not, but not your deacon one. Mm-hmm. And like, that's been a, a source of anxiety for me of like preaching your first deacon homily and like your family's there and there's all these people that are there. And, and I think in a lot of ways I was trying to use him to sidestep this fear that I had in a lot of ways. And when he told me that it was like, oh, <laughs> holy crap, I, I going to have to do it. If I'm going to be ordained a deacon and I have a first mass of Thanksgiving, mm. I'm going to have to preach that thing. And it was like all of a sudden feeling like very restricted. But in that place of restriction, like there was legitimate excitement and peace came from it where it was like, there's no way I can get out of this. And, (laughs) and the word that I wrote down was trapped with like quote unquote trapped. And the best analogy that I could think of was like when, when somebody hurts their shoulder or even gets put, put in a cast, like you have a restriction that's there so that you can be yourself and move freely, mm. but not injure yourself more so right. that like someone else can heal you so that you can be healed through this process. And that was kind of how I felt of like, I want to break out of this thing and like go and do damage to myself by running away from this because of this fear that I have. But there was a great peace in being restricted. Like, no, this is mm. your lifeboat. Stay in your lifeboat, Mike. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. And there was honest joy and peace and it wasn't a lack of freedom like like I was actually trapped but there was a great joy in being able to commit myself even more fully to it. Well, it's like the thief in the night, man, of just like this beautiful like in a sense trap that God has set yeah. for you that like you can't escape from yourself Dude, in a sense. Yeah. Um as hard as I tried to like yeah. escape this escape God's good trap for me, mm-hmm. like he he found a way to keep me there mm-hmm. and and then to experience his peace and his joy in that, which is a bizarre idea because anytime we hear restrictions as, you know, 20 something, 30 something Americans, it's like, oh, no, I need choice. I need to be able to have freedom. Like any restriction is a restriction on my person. But what you're saying is the lifeboat is the form of commitment that really allows you to love Yeah, in a way that without it, 
you're just swimming in circles you know and it's so specific like that's that's kind of the nature of the trap is that it has to it molds right to you you know and it's like like yesterday it was you know the day before my day off and it was the end of a long week with a lot of work and it's like one last thing let's go say hi to people after the last mass of the day and i'm talking to this person and in walks uh drunk homeless person into the church was it robbie kata <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know the first the first feeling is like dang it and she's looking for the priest and i thought to myself okay christ just walked into his house you know like mm. this is this is one more thing i'm obliged you can resent it because they're looking for the priest because they know you have you have publicly committed to the imitation of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so you have no freedom in this moment. Like you can, you can try to ignore it, but it will haunt you and you have to do it. Yeah. And so I had to, you know, make this person a sandwich and then they resented me for not doing more for them. And, uh, you know, I sat with them and tried to make them feel human, but they were drunk and I kind of called them on it. I was like, do you drink alcohol? And she'd been all friendly and like, you know, and she and she goes, no. Well, every once in a while, I do for pain, you know, because she was kind of moaning about how much pain she was in and all this stuff and her sad story. And you get this a lot, you know. But eventually, you kind of living in a place where there are. I mean, I'm not in a really poor area, but there's plenty of those people who are asking for help all the time and are sort of pros at it. And uh, you know, where's the where's the balance of like draw a firm boundary? I will not let you suck me into your vortex of self pity and self-absorption but i will treat you like a human being like you deserve to be treated Hmm. so making a person food and sitting with them that's to me that sort of but i'm not going to give you money i'm not going to let you use our phone you know you can use our bathroom but like there are there are ways that you people try to push you you know and take advantage of you um but anyway so i asked her if she drank alcohol and she was kind of making excuses like I get blood clots and so it thins my blood and it's why, why drinking alcohol is good, but I don't drink it that much. And I was like, did you drink today? She's like, well, yeah, I had some this morning and I'm like, you know, you need to take care of yourself. And then she gets all defensive and it was like, there was some evil kind of bubbling up in her where she started attacking me and she started asking me for more. And I was like, you know what, today's just the sandwich. I'm sorry to say, you know, you're welcome here, but I can't do that for you. And she's, like really mad and she's like trying to guilt me like god is watching you and all this stuff and and i was just firm in my position i'm like you know what i'm here for you but this is how i'm loving you right now you know and then she switched back into like the sweet mode and she's like can i have a hug and all this stuff and it oh, was god. yeah yeah it was really kind of eerie yeah uh but then i kind of said okay you know see you soon or whatever and ushered her out but i thought like this is i didn't want to do that like the whole time in my belly i'm like i want to get out of here it's my day off i want to go see my parents and go you know come up to mundelein and surprise the the dogs and i had like this vision for my own life of like stuff i wanted to do in the next 24 hours but then here this thing came and i was like i was trapped yeah and i had a choice to be like i could try to jump out of the boat and be like but I knew, I know from experience, I'm only 31 years old, but every time I try to go my own way and get out of the boat in the direction that the wind is taking me, it's just like misery. Yeah. So don't do it. It's going to cut you, like trying to go out your own way, get out of the boat, you're going to drown in boredom, anxiety, pangs of conscience, and uh, questions about the meaning of your life. But if you stay in this trap, put your body in this full body cast of the gospel, you will, you will be healed of the desire to like flail about and injure yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's self-harm. He, he yeah. saves you from yourself. I, my most recent spiritual direction, just to talk about my spiritual direction on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I was just talking about like some... I, I think in some ways sinful habits, but just things that I know are not 
like I think God has more for me in this time. I don't know if I'm using my time well and like feeling like I was a slave to specific things and like, God, I don't want to be a slave to that. But like feeling that I wasn't, I didn't have the strength myself to pull my, to pull myself away from this. And so like just talking to God and like begging him to, to help me, like to save me from these things. And just the, like the desire that I felt in prayer for God to come in and save me. And these are small things, but like they're definitely self-harm tendencies. Like I am getting in my own way here. And just, again, kind of being grateful that like, I, I mean, I could see this small thing if I hadn't encountered Christ legitimately and he has saved me like a million times in my life that I could be like this small thing that I can't get rid of that I'm a slave to could be way, way big thing. Mm -hmm. Like this could be just to jump to an extreme, like this could be some drug addiction or some drinking problem, Mm -hmm. something that is way uh, a much bigger, like physical manifestation where it wrecks my, my day-to-day life. But like, these are smaller things, but deep down, like at the root of it, it's the same struggle that's going on. And, um, and so having gratitude one for like Jesus legitimately has saved me from those things. Cause I can feel like self-destruction. Um, and honestly just having the only Haven be like the chapel and being friends here mm-hmm. and like all those different ways that God has thrown you life preservers, like running to those things. Cause when I try and do it, I become a slave to the wrong things and I get bored and anxiety wells up and fear comes mm. like, forget that man. Like Jesus do your thing and save me. Yeah. Just remembering to go back, not having that spiritual amnesia. Um, Amen. Hey, Rob. Amen. Dude, you know what saved us? Tom Cruise and his killer <laughs> mm-hmm. spike serve. That's what this all comes back to. Yep. Help me, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Help me. Help me, Jewish God. <laughs> Help me, Oprah. Does he yeah, say Oprah? Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a disappointing turn. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Down.